Okay. Katie, we're back. Hey, Brandon. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good, we are doing? back. We have a guest today. Yes, so I wanted to kind of build this up a little bit. We, we even put up sound curtains yes. for you. Yes. It's an honor for me to be here. Oh, well, thank you for being here. To be part of this community and to give my input, because I think I got a common sense input, and I think I have shown as in eight years that I was mayor, that I put people from the religious leaders, the community leaders, the police in a room and tried to come to some common grounds. We have made some significant changes to the police department under my administration, and we still have work to do. And I get systemic... Uh, it's a new word for me, too. Systemic uh, racism. racism. But, but I, I think right now we're pushing political agendas instead of sitting down and figuring out what is the problem. And if somebody would call me to the table and ask me what the problem is and what, what I think the solutions are, I think I got a common sense approach. And I fought it for eight years as mayor. I think the civil service system has to be revamped because I think it, it discriminates the way it is. And I, I, I got that because they wouldn't let Ruben Simmons even take the superintendent's test because they said he wasn't a, a foreman long enough. They're given a test to see if you're qualified for the job. If you pass that test and come to top three, I don't care what else you did. If that test is a test that's supposed to tell you if you're qualified for the job, then it don't matter what you did before. That's number one. Number two, to hire a cop and get him out on the street takes an, a huge amount of time. So it leaves our police force when somebody retires or goes out permanently on injured, short of cops. So some of the stuff that we wanted to do because we were shorthanded, we couldn't do. So we got to find a way to make that happen quicker. And I got ideas. The last thing yeah, I want to say... Before we go on to that third yeah, point, for yeah. those listening at home, we have with us... Yeah, we didn't even introduce <laughs> you yet. <laughs> yeah, he's ready. He came so ready, ready to talk. He came ready to talk. <laughs> um, but for those listening at home, Katie... Yes, we are with former Mayor Randy Cassell. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Katie Helmuth Martin of A Little Beacon Blog. Brandon Lillard of, of my, many things, many I things. Guess. Yeah. Board member of I Am Beacon. Yes, uh, Steady Geekin yes. podcast. Not you are debate. also Randall Savage and Instagram. We're here today to set the scene of why you have come out. I believe you've been um, pretty quiet since your term ended. We're here today because we want to talk about Beacon's Police Department in general because. You have a lot of knowledge about how it works, all the moves that a police department goes through to develop itself in different directions. So we really want to hear from you on how that happened. And just also kind of what you've experienced, what you've seen and like just kind of, you know, I think speaking to some of the barriers that are up that prevent things from getting done and prevent justice from happening. And I think right now we're at a place in this country, you know, we were talking before we got on there, you know, about the division that's happening and how we're being kind of brought up, you know, brought apart from each other. Mm -hmm. But I also think that what's happening right now, which I'm noticing didn't really happen for long periods of time before, is that people are trying to listen. Like we have to like really find those people and pay attention to them, but there are people who are trying to listen. So I'm hoping that this opportunity gives us an opportunity to really kind of inform 
those out there just to understand what are some of the workings of, at least on a local system level, Mm -hmm. and some of the issues that, you know, as a former mayor, um, you, Katie, as, you know, as someone who reports on news, like different things that you guys experience. Mm -hmm. I think people need to hear these stories to better understand themselves and and prepare themselves on how to address some of these issues that they're dealing with. I I agree with you 100%, and I, I believe we all should listen. But I think it's a fallacy when people say you should listen. We can listen, but that don't mean because we listen, we have to agree everything we hear. We need to do what we respect is after we listen, if there's some disagreement, try to sit with this respectful conversation and come to a middle ground. Not just ridicule and and, uh, put people off in the left because they disagree with what they heard. Uh, I'm going to give you one example. There was a business in Beacon. They wrote George Floyd on the side of the building. The graffiti, you mean? Yeah, Uh graffiti. So someone graffitied onto the side of the building. the business owner took it off. But before he took it off, somebody else wrote a negative about George Floyd. A swear word. But the reason the business owner took it off is because this is city law. If you got graffiti on the building, you got to remove it. And the reason we have that law is because if you leave it there... It becomes a board for both sides to start putting their stuff, and you really don't want that. People do not understand that. It's not that we disrespect George Floyd. Now a guy goes on one of the Facebook blogs and says, don't go to that business no more. This guy don't like George Floyd. That's where society has lost uh, consciousness of what's going on. And that's what I'm talking about when, when you say, listen, we can listen, and we can believe in Black Lives Matter, and we can also believe in... There's good police cops and we got to work with the police force and we should defend our, our, our cops. You can do both. There's not a bridge that you can believe in this and hate this. There's a bridge that you believe in this and you can still work for both sides so we come to a common good. And I think that's where we got to get back to in society with respect. And the best answer is get rid of party politics and have a politics for humanity. And right now, nobody wants to cross the party line because if they say one thing that the other side likes, they're ostracized by their party and and nobody sticks up for them. Until that gets done, we're in a bad spot in the world. And I'm going to give you an example here right in Beacon. Ali Muhammad, a kid that I mentored in high school, came out and supported me in an election. The Democratic Party got rid of him. They're the ones that don't want racism. So that's political racism because he had his opinion of who was a good guy. They ostracized him. So they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And and that's what needs to be talked about. Mm -hmm. And also with social media, you could spew hate and not have to face nobody. Exactly. And that that has really uh, inflamed everything that's going on. So I I get it. And I I just want to say one thing. Yeah. I grew up in the city my whole life. A beacon. Yeah, mm-hmm. I went to school. I lived at the section of the city that all the diversity was at. I went to the only elementary school that the black kids went to. Mm-hmm. So I I knew how to live with them, deal with them, and everything. What I don't know, and I will never know, their feelings, because I can't put my feet in their shoes and be them. I can listen to them. I can talk to them. And anybody that knows me knows there's not a racist bone in my body. And when I was mayor, I don't care who came through that front door. If they wanted to see the mayor, I didn't care what religion, what race, what sex, what. They came to the door, told me their problem. I tried to get to the bottom of it, investigate, give them the best answer I could. Sometimes it wasn't the answer they want to hear. But I always said to people, whatever answer I give 
give you is going to be the truth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people don't like to hear the truth. And I'd go home and look in the mirror and say, you know what? I did what was right for society. Thinking a lot about this conversation, specifically what's going on here in the city. I love Beacon. Growing up here, it really gave me opportunities I didn't have being a kid from Brooklyn. Growing up, you know, where I wasn't allowed to go outside to come up here and be able to really like enjoy and, and live more. Has there been racism in the city? Probably. I can say I, I've been very fortunate where I don't think I've experienced it in an outwardly way mm -hmm. here in the city. Um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I think that's in any place you go. Mm -hmm. And I think to think that it doesn't exist in a place mm -hmm. is the first part of denial. Mm -hmm. It's the first part of not recognizing what's really happening in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of that when it comes to certain things, especially when I think about Beacon. Like, I'm proud to tell people that I'm from this city. And I always kind of hold Beacon to a certain kind of like, you know, I always just say people like Beacon kind of exists in this bubble. And it's like, you can go there and you can experience all this shit and have fun. And then you leave and it's just like, oh, okay. You know, that's been my experience with it. Mm -hmm. But over the last couple of years, you know, obviously just with things in, in, in the world in general, kind of just getting you know, increasingly tense, mm -hmm. experiencing things of close friends mm -hmm. and role models here. And it's just like, nope, like I was just different from the Kool-Aid. So it does, you know, on one hand, I do appreciate like, the, you know, the, the protesting that's going on and I respect it. I think that everybody, this is the right to do it. Mm -hmm. But I just want to say this and say this, you know, if we're going to do something, we need to have a plan. I think anything that we do, mm -hmm. we need to have a plan on how we're going to it, how we're going to approach it, how we're going to come to agreements, everything. You know, some people may disagree, but it is kind of like a balance. Like we have to coexist together. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that in a way that doesn't interrupt your way of life, doesn't interrupt my way of life? I'm not saying you have to like me and I have to like you, but we can coexist. Yeah. Let me go to, back to Brandon's thing about racism. And, and it, I knew there was racism and big how I knew I went to South Avenue. I grew up in mm -hmm. a neighborhood that went there with them kids. Yeah. I finally moved to an all-white neighborhood. Me and my brother walked up the street. The guys on the block would say, why don't you go play with your black friends? I knew. My brother was a little intimidated. I told him I'd kick your ass. So, 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 you know, I knew that was going on. Yeah. But no matter what we do in society, there's going to be bad people. There is. And we're not is. going to change them all. Yep. And just because there's some bad, we can't brand everybody and say, you know, it's a racist society, yeah. number one. That's why we need cops and they need tools in the toolbox. Because no matter how good and how nice we are, there's going to be bad people that are going to have to be dealt with. And they're going to have to be dealt with in a harsh manner because they're just bad people out there. And they're of all color and all races. Mm -hmm. And society needs mm -hmm. law and order or we got chaos. That's why I believe both sides got to come to the table and come up with what works better for everybody. I've been fighting since for a long time because I was also the highway superintendent. These cops would go to this academy and they come back like they came back from Marine boot camp. It's mm. us against the world. Everybody's a criminal. Yeah. And they would talk to me that way. Yeah. So I'm not a black guy. They, so they, they would act yeah. in the same way towards me. I said, yo, man, we're not all criminals out here. You got to chill. But when you go to an academy and you're getting brainwashed, mm. when you come back, a system has to change. Yeah. And I've been fighting that since I became, I ran for mayor because mm. I thought the police department needed changes. And, and, and I get it. 
And you became the mayor in about 2008-ish? I became the mayor in 2012. 2012. I was on the council in 2008. Yeah. I served as a councilman for the third ward 2008 to 2012. I became the mayor in 2012. Okay. But the whole time I was a highway superintendent, and I watched what was going on. Mm-hmm. And believe me, bad cops are because of bad leadership. Mm-hmm. And nobody was taking charge of the police department. And every time somebody complained about it, it was washed under the rug. So, of course, a bad cop gets away with it. I'm not saying you can rehab every bad cop. But if you stay on him, you might make him a good cop. So what what would happen... When you make a complaint, where does it go? Yeah, and and I know where it goes now because of what the captain said on the city council they, meeting when they they, they, they send it Captain to Frederick the, said uh, mayor's office and they would give it to the chief and they uh-huh. say we looked at it and it was uh, mm-hmm. you know not valid you know so you know and, I, and when I was mayor I'm gonna tell you I had people come in my office screaming about my cops and you know I had one lady come in and say your cops are a bunch of racists what happened she said they gave me a speeding ticket. I said, were you speeding? She said, yeah, but the way they treated me. They got out of that car, they were saying this, they were saying that, and I wrote everything down. A lot of people don't like to go complain to the chief mm-hmm. because they think they'll be targeted. Yeah. That's why I let them come in my yeah. office. You so know it took a lot of courage to even come into your office. Right. I mean, I would be intimidated to come into the mayor's office. I ran the type of office that everybody knew they were welcome to come into. So when they came in, I used to write everything down. And the last thing I would say to them, I got all your information. There's two sides to every story. I'm going to give it to the chief. We're going to investigate it. And I or the chief will get back to you. In that instance, I called downstairs and said, what's going on? They said, we just went through because back then we didn't have cam- body cameras, but there was cameras in the car that when the lights went on in the car, the camera went on. Mm. So it videoed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Nothing that she said happen. Mm. So I said to her, we'll call her down, invite her to watch the video with you. Okay. We did. And she said, well, you know, I was probably so upset and nervous. I I, I assumed that happened. Mm. And I get it. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the reasons I fought. And, and believe me, nobody knows the battle I fought about putting cameras on these cops. Chief didn't want it at the time. The administrator didn't want it. My attorney didn't want it. They were telling me, if you put them on, you got to negotiate it with the union. If you don't, you can't use it for disciplinary. I said, listen, we're putting cameras on. If we're not doing nothing wrong, we shouldn't be afraid of cameras. And if we're doing something wrong, we got to figure it out and straighten it out. So we're putting it on. And I told my lawyer, you you tell me what you want about uh, uh, disciplining. I said, if I see a cop doing something wrong or something criminal by that camera, I'm going to do what I got to do. And if a judge wants to throw it out, shame on him. Don't tell me. I, I said, because negotiations, just they, they're going to want more money for it. Why would they give them more money to wear another piece of their uniform? I'm not doing that. We're, we're putting cameras on. They got cameras on. Wow. They you made it happen. Huh? You made it happen. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? To the cops credit, 90% of them come up to me. It's the best thing we ever did. Plants have went down because people know. Before they could say whatever they want to say, we had no proof that anything was wrong. So, so I get change is hard to make. Could the cops turn them off? Did they have the power to turn the body camera off? But they can, but they they can get in uh, trouble if they turn it off because Who, the rules and regulations. Who's watching the body camera? 
It's recording all the time. Where does it go? Where does the data go? Like to a oh, cloud right. or to a, to a to a thing that they can download it and watch everything that's going on if they get a complaint and everything. Like, like if they're gonna go like behind a bank because there's maybe some kids hanging out at ten thirty at night, could they turn their camera off? Like, no. would, would anybody know that they turned their camera off when they were going to check that out? I, I don't know if they could tell it that far. I, I don't want to commit on that. But okay. the other thing I want to say to you is, and, and, and this is so important to get out for the police. If they're going behind the bank at 1030 at night because kids are doing something, mm-hmm. they got a complaint. Somebody's quality of life was being, that's why they're not going there. I used to tell kids when I was highway superintendent, mm-hmm. don't do stuff on Main Street. Go down Riverfront Park. But do one thing. If you're drinking down there, doing things, clean it up. Because mm-hmm. if you leave a mess down here, I'm going to complain, and then the cops are going to be down here tomorrow night running you out of there because well, you're leaving a mess. So I'm glad you said that because then that, that kind of leads to my, my next question of, like, what is the responsibility of a police officer and what is the responsibility of, let's say, a community member? And when it comes to something like that, because I think that is another thing that's happening, too, where it's like police get called for everything for mental health, for, you know, forging money, like just things that just, uh, uh, like, I just wonder, like, why are cops being called to these sort of... Mental health is twofold. It could be a police issue because a lot of stuff that goes on, somebody's acting up, acting out, and somebody's scared, so they're calling the cops because Mm. they're afraid this guy's doing something. That's a mental health issue sometimes, and it's more and more now because there's more people with mental illnesses on the street now than ever before. Mm -hmm. That's why I think my solution to this whole problem could work for both sides, and it's not the funding of police departments, adding funding and putting a social worker on every shift with the cop. So every time they're there, they got a social worker. And people say, well, just let's put money and give it to the social worker. Well, social workers aren't going to go into some of these situations without a cop behind them because some of them are high-tense situations. Yeah. So it's got to work hand in hand. Yeah, it's got to be I a team. And I think it can. And when I'm saying that, and I said it to our mayor, that's our mayor now, when you try to give the, ask the cops to do that, they might rebel a little bit because change is hard for everybody. I said, but you got to... Explain to them how it can make their lives a lot easier. In a cop's life, really what he wants to do is come to work, and go home. make sure he's going home to his family safe at the end of the night, and he wants to do his job so people say, these cops are doing their job, they're keeping our community safe. It's a tough job. It's a tough job. It's tougher now more than ever because of all the tension that's out there, but most of all because of the mental health issues that are out there and they're out on the street now, and that's what they're dealing with. Mental health issues and domestic violence are the biggest problems the police forces find, and they're the most high-tense things that they go to because by law, and I told Katie this the other day, they go get caught to a domestic, somebody got to get arrested. Yeah, somebody has to. And, and that's usually what law? happens like when they make the arrest, yeah. the person that called turns on them as they're making their arrest. So that's the stuff that people don't see. Sometimes yeah. some of these people should ride with a cop and, and see what they go through and what they deal with and how they deal with things. I used to have a scanner. I used to listen. They pull over people. And I used to kind of know if they were black, white, or Spanish because mm-hmm. I'd hear the name. And I know most people in the community. I, I'm, I'm out and about in the community. I, I'm yep. always out. Yep. And I used to hear the cops say, okay, I gave a warning. They gave as many warnings to black people, Spanish people, and white people 
all around. And they gave tickets when they had to give tickets. So, you know, and, and the other half is a, a, a mayor. People would call my office and say, there's people speeding, your cops don't do nothing. So one half's complaining they're not doing nothing, and the other half says they're picking on me. So I, I just, it's a fine line, and, and I just think we need to come to common ground. And I think the fine line is getting drawn way out to push political agendas and it's not fair to the law enforcement officers that are good people. We need to find a way to get to the, rid of the bad officers as soon as possible. And I'm sure every good cop would agree with that. And we need to find a way to hire better and have a training that they learn more verbal judo then come back with the mentality that we're going to war because mm-hmm. well yeah and, and and I don't know if that it it doesn't help you know it doesn't help that that those who are in charge of of you know leading us are you know putting police officers in situations where they are in danger i have a brother who is a state trooper and i've been terrified for him ever since he's become an officer but since all this has happened it's different I mean, it's it, the fear is there, but it's a, it's 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 compounded and it's different mm. because it's now it's like he and I want and this is what I want to kind of ask you about. You know, people are 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 afraid of, of of police right now. They're angry towards police right now. You know, you're speaking to you know the side of the city that you've seen that not many of us have been privy to. So my question to you is, what do you say to those who are feeling? afraid of police based on what they're seeing that's happening in this country. Well, the fact, you know, like, like, because I, I don't want to like, and, and you're right. No one listens. And, and, and right now, because everyone is so high in, in their emotions, no one is, is, is really taking into account like how the other person is feeling. Yeah, I you know what I mean? I believe uh, when, when uh, the, the person got killed in Baltimore a few years ago, I put all the community leaders in a room, and this group, Beacon Speak South, came out of it. What they first did, though, everybody got together, and they had a big meeting, anybody in the community, and they talked about what the points were that they wanted to see our police department change and mm-hmm. what they see. And, you know, uh, some of the stuff that they came back with I, was on my agenda to get done when I ran for mayor. Uh, and I, I'm ashamed to say I didn't get it all done, but I will explain some of the reasons why, and that's some of the changes that need to be made. Okay. But they, they, that group broke out into a smaller group with all the ideas from the bigger group. Mm-hmm. My police chief and my administrator met with them once a month at the Beehive. Yeah. And believe me, some days my administrator and my police chief didn't want to go, and I said, we're going, man. And I'd sit there, and sometimes that other side would push that political agenda instead of keeping it to how we can make police. And I would interrupt and say, if we're here to do that, I'm out of here, because mm-hmm. that's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. So, And I went to every meeting. Mm-hmm. I also went to the church on Delavan Avenue mm-hmm. when they had a thing at the, around the same time, and it had 500 people in there, and I spoke. Mm-hmm. And everybody that was in that place came up to me afterwards and said, what an inspirational speech. Mm-hmm. Because I speak from the heart, man. I, I believe I want best for everybody. I know we're never going to have utopia. It's not going to happen. No matter how hard we work at it, there's going to be bad people. There's going to be racism. We're never going to get to utopia. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to deal with that. But I'm a firm believer, and, and I didn't get it done as well as I should have or could have. If cops get out of a car and walk around and talk to people when everything's calm and they get to know them one-on-one 
then when everything's in chaos, then people will know we need to back these people because they know them better than in a high-tense situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason it don't get done is because the city of Beacon Police Force is minimum staffed. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm a big believer, and I was a big believer when I took over, fought with both administrators that worked for me, fought, fought with every chief. I believe in sector policing. Sector policing is if, if, if four, three of us are working, we divide the city up in three sectors. You you stay in your sector. You just ride them streets. You stay in your sector. I ride them streets, and I ride my streets. If she gets a call, I, they need a backup. One of us go leave our sector, but then we go back to our sector. It does two things. You learn everybody in that part of the community. You even see, you know, this guy's garage door is always closed. If you see it open, it tells you something might be going on. Mm -hmm. All right? It brings good community policing. I I used to see police cars go out of the police station. I used to think it was a parade because whenever you've seen one car, you always see two or three cars. Mm -hmm. They weren't patrolling the whole city. So... I believe in sector policing. Their argument was we don't have enough cops. My argument was if we got two cops, you divide the city into two sectors. And I believe that because when I ran the highway, when I plowed snow, you know how I plowed it? By sectors. Yeah, yeah. Okay? That's how so I used to tell them, I'm not a cop, but I can manage. <laughs> does, does Beacon have more cops, though, per person than Fishkill or Wappingers? Not sure mm-hmm. uh, if they do. But uh, I know they don't have more than Newburger Poughkeepsie. No. And we're five square miles. But and we don't even have close to the number that they so, got. So, question, I tried to find, and maybe I'm not finding it on the website, but I tried to find a list of police officers on the website so I could see at least everybody's name. I think it was 36 officers. I think so, yeah. I, and it, I couldn't find them. I don't even know what they all look like. Do they? I wish they would come out to the table. And couldn't you think well, they would see, be part of this see, conversation? See, that's the problem. And and some good things happen with this department. You know, the PBA has coffee with a cough, uh, uh, coffee with a cop down at you know, to, so they could get out. You know, they trying to do some things different to get out to the community. But when you and what happens is because we're minimum staffed, if a guy goes out on on, on an injury, one of the problems with police is if he goes out on a two hundred seven C injury, which is a compensation that he got hurt on the job. Mm-hmm. He gets full pay mm-hmm. until he can come back. Mm-hmm. So we're paying him. Now we're one cop down. Mm-hmm. Now, if three of them are out because, you know, yeah. they, mm-hmm. you're three cops down. Uh-huh. If a cop decides to transfer, you could be four cops down. Uh-huh. And it takes forever to hire a cop. Yeah. So there's reasons that we couldn't get everything done because at first we had people on Main Street and on bikes, but then people were transferring. So, so you know, that that's one of the reasons some of the things do not get done. And some of the times... It, 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 the, the complaints come in so much that they're running all over the city, you know. Think about the investigation, the Department of Justice investigation what about it for the Beacon Police. How did it start? What well, happened? What happened? Was anybody removed? The, you know, what, for why? a while, and, and, and believe me, I, I don't know if, if, and when I think about back to this, this wasn't uh, racial motivated. Them cops were rude to everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. They'd write thousands of tickets. You know, they come to work with the, uh, their tickets made out to give out, and they didn't care if you were a little old white lady, you got the ticket. They, they weren't discriminating against nobody. They were just out running roughshod over the whole community. Mm-hmm. What happened was then there was dissension within the police department. Okay. And a couple cops came out with a, and went said this stuff was going on. That's how the DOJ came here. Oh. And when the DOJ came here, 
they they said some things you got to fix, and then all, all of a sudden, everybody wanted us to be an accredited police department. Okay, an accredited police department. Yeah, which what means does that mean? You got to get DOJ's approval of all your rules and regulations, and do everything you want. And they gave us, and mm-hmm. it took years to get that done, mm-hmm. and they got it done. We're, we're one of the we're, we're one of a lot of accredited police departments by DOJ. Uh-huh. That's what people got to realize right okay. now. Okay. Okay. So um, they got it done, and. Uh, some of the bad apples have left. Okay. And I think some of uh, the people that were on the verge of being a bad apple changed their attitude and turned themselves around. Okay. People can. I think yeah. with management, you can turn some bad people into good people. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to get rid of the bad people. Mm-hmm. You got to have the tools to do it. And the cop that, I, that got fired that we were talking about, it took me almost two years to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And, and every cop on the police force would come say to me, why are we still paying this guy? Mm-hmm. And my lawyers were saying, we can't, because they're entitled to a Section 75 hearing. But I couldn't have it because the DA was saying he didn't want me to have it. Mm. And the DA was dragging his feet with the criminal charges. Mm-hmm. And I was losing my mind in City Hall. Mm-hmm. And the administrator and the lawyers were saying, so there's more to it than, you know, people know. Yeah. What- and I, as I said before, I, I don't believe there's any good cop that wants a bad cop. Because my mother told me when I was a kid, one bad apple spoils the whole damn bunch. And if we don't work to get rid of them, you were going to be tainted. Well, I think like you said before, you know, it, management makes a difference. So if, you, if you're in a system where these sort of things can happen, where you can get away with, you know, taking advantage of your power, your authority, then, you know, it's a lot like with, you know, kids. If you don't tell them to stop, they're going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what bothers me everything's focused on cops. Racism is going on in the city and other departments. Nobody yeah. even talks about it. Yeah. And when we tried to talk about it, some of these people sitting on the council that are, you know, we want diversity, mm-hmm. came out and read a letter that was written by nobody signing it, mm-hmm. ridiculing a black guy that I met as a supervisor. So the, they talk one thing and walk another thing. So as someone that has, you know, seen you moved in the community and you know the sort of like influence that you have you know what would you say to someone that was like okay randy like knowing what you know help teach those who are out on the front lines like help them understand like i said earlier how this whole like monolith works so that you know because people listen to you in the city they do. Like, I, I think that we can all agree. Like, you know why? Because I'm not educated. I don't have a good grammar, but I got common sense and I try to come to common grounds with every decision I make. My door was open to every race, every so, sexual orientation, everything, man. I never told somebody they couldn't come in my office and I always tried to help who I could help and I always tried to be an honest person to them. And I don't think politics do, politicians do that. They try to drive their political agenda instead of looking at the issue we're dealing with and try to come to a common conclusion, man. And I think that's the problem with the whole country, man. I'm the type of guy that says, let's build bridges. Yeah. Ask what they've done for you over the last 20 years that they ran places. Nothing. So I get it, man. Because when I walk the walk, when I talk the talk, I try to walk the walk. And believe me, I, 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 I try to be open to everybody. And I think in this community, we need to do that. Now, there's bad people in every society. When I was young, younger, down the center of town, there was some bars called the Stardust Grill. 
they're doing with a modern cafe. And there was a Casio. We used to come down and go to bars and listen to music, dance with the girls. And, you know, that's the way we're grown up. Now, was it racist people? And I told you. I told you they were racist because they tell me when I moved here, go play with your, your friends, man. Because that, that was their attitude because they never dealt with a black person because they were in a lily white society. They didn't see any black people because the black population was all located in one section. Mm -hmm. There was never a black person past the dummy life for many, many years until we knocked everything down. And that's why we had racial strife back then because they didn't grow. If you don't grow up with somebody you know. of a different color and then all of a sudden... You all come to one place. It's hard to start then at that age to start respecting each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why I always say everybody in the city hated Urban Renewal because they knocked some nice place. And I said one thing Urban Renewal do, we were always a diverse community, but it was only in this end of town. I said once they did that, they diversified every neighborhood and it made it easy to make yeah. racial relationships work better, man. We should be boisterous to Say we want to come to the table and come to the middle of the ground where we could all live together and humanity can be better. How we get to there, I don't know. I'm a believer you put people in one room and you talk and you talk respect. Sometimes agree to disagree, move on to the next subject, come back to that subject because you're not always going to agree on everything. Mm -hmm. Walk away from it for a while, come back. I think that might be a good note yeah. to leave it on. Yeah. I'm here, you know, I, I grew up here. I love this city. I gave my heart and soul to everything I did in this city. I never want to see this city be a bad place. Randy, I don't think it's going to be a bad place because you're talking, you're sharing, you and... So, Randy, you talking and sharing and educating and just sharing all of your knowledge is what keeps this city going in the right direction. And if things get uncomfortable, people will get uncomfortable doing things that maybe, you know, half the people like or don't like. And, oh, that's always uncomfortable. And that's just we're just in an uncomfortable time. And that's where we're going to be at. And we're going to still talk to each other in our uncomfortable lives until until something until we reach the, a, a comfortable place. But it means coming out, coming out of a shell, coming out of protection, coming out and just speaking to each other in person and be respectful for each other. In other words, respectful, even though, you know, I'm sure there's things I said today on this podcast that some people aren't going to like. Mm -hmm. But if they're going to disrespect me for saying it. That's not how we come to a, a common ground. Mm -hmm. Because if you want people to be truthful about stuff. Well, it's very hard to figure out what's going on when a lot is between the lines that is so, so under between the lines. It's really hard to just pick it apart and figure it out. And that's where danger comes into play, because then you just start making stuff up in your head. So that's what I've always found difficult when I'm following issues at city council meetings. If we're not, if we're sk skirting around an issue because people are afraid to say something, that's when things just start getting made up. And that's a dangerous place. So that's why Brandon and I really appreciate you being here today and sharing your experience in all the years you've served Beacon and that you continue to serve Beacon, not in an official position, but just as a person. Well, I appreciate that. And like I said, I my whole life was dedicated to this city. 
no matter what I did, if I coached youth sports, if I coached high school sports, if I was the mayor, when I was the highway superintendent, I rode the streets on Saturdays and Sundays to see what was going on. And, you know, that's why I'm a believer that you should live in the community if you work in the community, because then you'll have more, you'll be more attached to the community. But, and then I ran for mayor because I wanted to run for mayor. I never wanted to be part of a political party. I, I, I hate party politics. I hate it with a passion. And, but unfortunately, that's the way the system is. And um, until we get the term limits, it's going to be hard to straighten out the, the, the national levels and the state levels. But at the local levels, if we talk to each other with respect and respect each other's side and understand, we're not going to agree totally, no matter what we do. But there's got to be a common ground that we can come to that we both can live with. And, and when we talk about police, it's got to be that the police feel comfortable and they're going to be safe doing their job. And when we talk about the community, the community's got to feel comfortable that the police aren't disrespecting them. And there's not, um, uh, you know, anything being hid. Mm-hmm. And I get that. And, you know, we've got to keep working at it. Like I said, the city's coming a long, long way. And anybody that's been here, and as uh, Mayor Cariaco said, it's been going on a long time and we mm-hmm. have come a long way. Mm-hmm. There's still work to be done. But it only can be done if both sides can come together with leaders from both sides and sit down with the administration at the table to mediate it and come to common ground that works for both. It can't be total one way or the other. And uh, like I said, I, I threw out some ideas today that I believe really helps because I think domestic violence and the mental health issue is a real issue. Mm-hmm. And it's the most volatile issue that uh, most police officers face. And uh, then it turns into everything else once it gets out of control. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, uh, the county has done incident management stuff that all police officers go to now and we're certified. The academies are starting to teach it. But I still think there's more work to be done. And it's got to be done through cooler heads and the people sit down at the table and work. And I believe in let's not make decisions that are going to divide us, but not really make a difference one way or the other. And, you know, this bench is, is one of the things that I'm passionate about. And by moving it, all it's going to do is divide the community. And, and yeah, when I say I don't want the community divided, I'm going to divide it because it's my stepson that died in a horrible accident that was a good cop, that the thin blue line rallied around our family. And, 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 and I really believe Dustin's mom and his young wife and his father and his grandmother and his brother and sisters when they got through it with these people supporting them through the whole thing, you know, they're at the scene when he died at the hospital, hugging and hanging on to him, his brothers that he worked with. That's what the thin blue line is. And whoever hijacked that, that's a sad thing to have to take a, a, a good flag and make it a bad thing and then have society hate the good people because of it or tell them to get rid of their flag. That's what we got to start thinking outside the box and say, listen, there's bad people. We know they're bad people. That thin blue line don't represent them. It represents these people. They're trying to use it. We're not going to take it away from these people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where they got to come to the common ground, man, because it's for good causes. And, and usually then people donate to, to um, raise things that donate to families in need. If you look at things they do good, mm-hmm. that thin blue line, mm-hmm. you can't say, well, you can't have the thin blue line. That's all I'm saying. And, and I'm going to stand behind that. And if people disagree with me, I respect their opinion, but I'm not going to change my opinion.
Thank you, Randy, for sharing right, your, your opinion today. Thank you, guys.